curatorial space, institutional space, social and political and ethical and economic space, deep space, outer space, inner space. Space is an issue for everyone, yes, but it has specific resonance for those who make exhibitions and run institutions, and a bit differently for women in general. How we move through it, how we claim it, how we narrate and thematize it, how we fund it, how we labor in it, how we construct it, how we are trapped in it or trap others in it. Women in Space a two-day symposium that thematized the role of scale, space, and power in envisioning women in the art system and made reference to the exploratory nature of space travel and all its attendant problematics and projections. Taking the measure of a wide swath of art institutions and spaces run by women curators in recent years, it would seem that the art spaces they activate do not often stress the importance of size, the need for expansion, or the importance of demographic media impact, but rather the necessity of programs that encourage a qualitative interaction between different social spheres as they relate to the exhibitions, public programs, and the continuous presence of the artist community. But the question remains, do women art professionals aim for this outcome, or is this the result of the difficult and adaptive process to the very patriarchal conditions in which they, as women in a system created by and for men, are mandated to work? Ideas of intimacy, the smaller scale, and the need for a social space in which to express authentically and in solidarity can seem to clash simultaneously with the larger, louder, seemingly more ambitious view of what women should want. What do all these ideas, projected or not, imply? And how do they manifest in space itself? How have such ideas affected the view of women who claim space, as it were, large or not? But in speculative fiction, especially that which is written by women, women of color, and queer women, space and time has a different resonance. It bends, it folds, it allows other ways of working and living and thinking and fielding forms of social justice, other readings of history. So in the four short readings that I will give over the next two days to get where we're here together, I will bring in voices from poetry, philosophy, science fiction, and contemporary art all in which to imagine other ways of inhabiting space and time, bending it to something closer and stranger, to real needs and the dignities of subjectivity. The voices, some of which are very lyrical, some of which are very dry and straightforward, are from different points in space. Their reflections, sometimes made many decades ago, have an interesting resonance now. A lot has changed and very little has as well. So this first text I'll read is a poem by um, the Canadian poet and essayist Lisa Robertson. Though it's very elliptical and quite lyrical, its themes of gendered labor, spatial and social dynamics, and artistic inheritance seem to me a good way to begin. A Cuff. It is always the wrong linguistic moment, so how can I speak of sex? 
one's own place as realism and doubt. But now I want to only the discretion of realism. I can't say it any more clearly than this. Philosophers taught me a conversion narrative, how the four elements changed into each other by flattering. I think of them or meet with them in reading, on October 1st, showing their vanity and falsehood with the frontispiece of him in Laurel Crown. The room runs to swags and popular flower pornography. The house amplifies the trembling as if its inhabitants are lodged in an ear. To make something from what I am, from proximity, bitterness, is just brutal, so I turn to syllables. And if I degenerate into style, it's because I love it very much, all week long, like a first thing, like a technique or a marriage, where conditions are incomprehensible, thus satisfying the narrative of the body, intentionally tawdry and valueless. And this is a recurrent pleasure, because it gushes, it's painterly. So that I feel abstraction is an incomplete resistance. There are explosions of innovation, next a strange, gilded, and embalmed repose, a single leaf laid out the circumstances of its development. Where ornament is always unfinished, and it was a purely melancholic ritual, a fragrance so unexpected emanated from the document, only to give rise to the striated ruin some terrible object presented to it, dispersed over all the parts, which are like nature, miming the human. Painting can be seen as a faltering of that gradient, if faltering begins the ordinary. Discontinuity, seepage, and the disobedient will sit in the familiar light of the person without being specifically summoned. The models, the furniture, the clothes are all real. I worked in the kitchen with the windows open so I could hear you. And change broke this heart, the hands that are love and their faces that are love and disturbance. What you see and hear in the present is emotion. We live beyond its limits. The body bandaged to make it more impermeable, then folded again along the top in a deep cuff. If females lick language, death, economy, cold sky with that flat gray storm clouds, the seaport at sunset, tubes of yellow light. This suture is a form of will. Furthermore, the paradise is only ever indexical. Above the flat roof of the warehouse, half past five in the afternoon. I'm about to copy this out because of having refused to break with the tradition of myself. After the recorder is switched on and before I begin to speak, all privacy rubs on it. One strange body needs a party dress Tyrant body, if it travels, came into the room as a document. Now these rites have become intelligible and wet the shining coverlet. It charms impotently like a dialect where all the leaves are an opera with fringes flung on the furniture, a sort of clown of the feminine with the head of a nocturnal bird as an uneven survival. Uneven survival, another dialect billowing skirt over modern corset by which I am strengthened with modulation. And outside the window, the society in labeled packages with ship gray trim. Then with a thorough exploration of those parameters with instruments made from negation and the assimilating person in a pronoun that absorbs everything 
we have laid in the vocables of the not yet feminine for a whole sentence at a time I become the world with its streets, interiors, railroad stations, restaurants, and beaches, if only in some minor respect. So you run a space called State of Concept in Athens, and you just opened a show with um, Sanya Vikovic. And I was there at the opening, and there was a new performance. And it was mostly young women, right? There were no, there were no men. And it was basically a performance based on um, uh, testimonials by um, World War II uh, Greek women partisans, and basically the way they were persecuted after the war. And it was, it was very interesting. It was a very strange kind of alienated experience. All the women were sitting in a circle during this performance and they were speaking these dialogues that were clearly not coming from their own experience. And some of the dialogues were quite beautiful and some of them were very painful because they were talking about torture and imprisonment and ideas of freedom and dashed hopes. And I was wondering what the process was for putting together this performance, because obviously the artist is from the former Yugoslavia, and so what it was like to work actually with specifically Greek kind of female political histories and make them part of her practice, and how that sort of evolved with you. So we kind of began from personal histories, meeting there when we started discussing the exhibition. And of course, also we realized the historical parallelisms that existed during these periods between ex-Yugoslavia and Greece. Uh, looking through a feminist perspective and the role of women, on one side you had uh, socialism really developing until the 90s, and on the other hand, this, the leftist or the socialist question became just a fantasy that was never realized. But then at some point during the mid-90s, these two completely different histories in terms of how women develops in society meet up. And I think with the collapse of, of Yugoslavia and with kind of Greece entering the European Union after the Maastricht Treaty and everything, you see kind of neoliberalism kicking in for both countries and um, let's say the second wave of feminism collapsing. So for us that was the initial thinking processes. So we started looking at these histories, trying to find the parallel lines and I mean, I knew very well the work of uh, Alinda Dimitriou, which is a documentary filmmaker uh, that died, a feminist documentary filmmaker. She made a, a very important trilogy of oral histories of, um, of that period, trying to track down, I think, from 75 after the dictatorship until 2008 that the first film came out. She was really tracking down all these women that used to be partisans. Uh, she begins by saying, that I looked at this woman and many of them said to me, oh yeah, now you remember us? We're not interested in talking to you. And the first reaction we both had was, how can this politicized subjectivity of the 40s address a new feminism or new feminisms of 2019? Can there be a bridge to link this too? And what we did was really take down the whole script, write down the whole script of, of that first film. It's called Birds on a Mire. It's the only one of the three that is translated in English, so you can all find it on YouTube, actually, and, and watch it. It's just oral histories of these women. And then we edited the scenario, and we had this idea of how do we remove all the signifiers of dates, of places, of names, and just create a smaller script um, of uh, of testimonies that could actually be 
of women in Philippines today, or women in Rojava today, or women in Syria today, or in Egypt today. In terms of thinking about space and the voice, hmm. because I also know that your show before this was an exhibition by Anna Dalsakova, and, um, and I spent a lot of time in there uh, watching the films with the headphones on and listening to the voice and reading the subtitles and what she's speaking. And it's very interesting because there's often you know, talks in terms of um, both contemporary feminism, but also obviously sexism and misogyny focused on the female voice. Either women need to sort of find their voice, raise their voice, or m women need to be quiet because their voice is shrill, because it shouldn't be in public space. Women's voices are constantly being critiqued. It's like you know, a kind of level on both sides. And so as a curator, when you're working in space, what is it like to think about a woman's voice as, as a spatial effect, basically, and to sort of um, almost like create a dramaturgy for it, to make sure it's somehow effective? Like, what were you doing with it, especially in these last two shows, where it seemed to be so predominant? Because also in the Ivakovic show downstairs, there were two films, and they were basically just um, women testimonials again. So everywhere I moved, it was sort of women's voices with different accents, different languages kind of following me, but framed by the white walls of an art space. And I thought that was really interesting. It's not predetermined in a way. It just happens naturally. I also only work with women. The, the people in the institution, my colleagues, are only women. Uh, the, most of the people that we have shown in the institution are women. It's not on purpose, it's just it, somehow it happens. And for me, I, I think of the, the effect of the voice in the space, in that sense, um, twofold ways, not the feminine voice, because as I am a female subjectivity, it kind of comes natural, the voice is female <laughs> for me. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of it through the male voice in that sense, but in terms of the voice as an instrument or as a, a sculptural element or as a position in space, for me, what is interesting is the voice as testimony more. And the, the fact that women's voices and women's testimonies have been, um, for decades and for eons now, sidetracked, silenced, pushed aside, covered up. So this is why a lot of the exhibitions deal with this concept of the oral history or of histories forgotten or of oral testimonies and how they can kind of be uh, brought up. I mean, because I think this idea of oral histories and like primary sources, the woman giving her own testimony, it also suggests the fact that often these stories aren't being told in the more sort of mainstream, like omniscient, you know, history books and so forth. I mean, one of the things that Chus and I were talking about before this is all the projections on what women are supposed to do. You know, on one hand, there's this like very gendered idea that, that women are more interested in the smaller forms and in medium formats and intimacy and collaboration and process and the, the drawing versus the painting. And at the same time, there's the other idea that um, the corrective, no, you want to create um, the larger space. You need to have the ambition to sort of center yourself in power the way we are taught, the way power looks. And so I think this is, this is another interesting idea, like what of this comes naturally and what of this is also something that we have been sort of conditioned to, um, to focus on and so forth. But also to link it with your reading, it, what st struck me was a sentence that said abstraction as resistance. I, I really loved that sentence. And uh, sometimes maybe that's also needed in the way that we operate, that we don't need to 
directly defined, this is like a feminist space. You just be, you just do, you just, also abstraction sometimes can be good because you're, it's a resistance in the sense that you refuse to be pigeonholed, you refuse to be labeled, you refuse to, to kind of fit in other people's spaces and limits and confinements and frontiers. There is another naturality that's at work. I think there is the naturality of um, I naturally work with women and it comes natural to me and I construct my, my, my peers um, by affinity and this affinity is something that I'm not faking. I have this affinity. I have this affinity with this material which is uh, definitely a different material than the material that runs into the DNA of the art market that it runs into the DNA of uh, situations that stay in state collections and so on. So there is many questions that come to it because the same affinity, for example, in, in, in Greece, um, the big private foundations run by guys that actually don't even pay taxes in their own country um, have the same affinity uh, to work with male, male artists. They have an incredible affinity working with the market. They have an incredible affinity to work with uh, things that stay, if possible, for a very long time. And they have an affinity towards uh, producing a pseudo or a meta um, national idea of what it is just because they have the cash for it. So um, it's interesting to know how these two affinities work and if these two affinities kind of, you know, are not affinities at all. And actually um, it's a kind of a silent war or a, you know, um, a conflict or there is a chance of a, of a transfer of something going on. And uh, following my medical, my medical mind this morning, I think if I am into, you know, I'm a doctor of the art world and I am looking for different ways of transforming the organization. And since I have a political background as a doctor, because my mother was also a partisan, I thought that I could do it politically, but then I saw in medicine a much better methodology, uh, transplanting rich woman thinking differently to different contexts in order to neutralize the richness of the rich men and also connecting different organs of the network and so on. Then I come back to, to um, Maraike and ask, like, since you are a private uh, museum of a foreign woman from Poland that is also submit, unfortunately, to many prejudices as a country in many ways and in Europe especially because of our own history, do you think that you can have an impact in the national run, in those museums that are kind of, not national in the European way of national, but cantonal, uh, the important public institutions. Of the, can, can that medically happen? Do you think that her transplant would succeed, that actually you could actually beat and change the programs of uh, collections in Switzerland. And when you go to see the exhibitions, you wonder how could it be so natural that 90% of those hanging on the walls are male artists? I mean, this can only change by a collaboration. It's not going to change by blaming or... I, could I don't know, start, I disagree, I disagree. I, it we, also we, changed by blaming. No, 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 no. Okay, no. so... No. But then you would need to start naming. And I mean, of course, we do this in certain discussions, for instance. I mean, one of the most blaring examples is when Sam Keller announced for the Fondation Bayerler about a year ago that the Fondation Bayerler, which is naturally very male-concentrated, I think there were two female solo exhibitions, there, yeah. and they, he announced publicly that the program will change, and they have, are aware of this concentration on the male artists, and they want to change programming. And then he... A month or two later, he announced the program coming up, and it was Baslitz, 
Picasso, Balthus, and you were like, oh, I remind me, oh, you mean, maybe he means that there are Woman a lot lovers. of women in the pictures. They love women. But, there, but <laughs> otherwise, I couldn't really see the he point. He meant the 12-year-olds in the Balthus, I think. Whatever. I mean, these kind of things we can name, but I think one interesting thing in Switzerland is the, for me now, kind of like working here since permanently since half a year, is the contradictions. Yes, you have this extremely conservative and sometimes very patriarchal attitudes. And before we opened the museum and before we opened the show with 37 female artists and three male artists, um, people were warning us. And like, seriously and in a very kind way of reminding us where this new museum is opening and what this might mean. And, but then the actual the visitors and the public and the press is super open. And I'm sometimes irritated by these kind of like contradictions that you, and um, a lot of the museum now in Switzerland are run by women. I mean, you have Centrum Paul Klee, you have, so it's, and these are, these are major museums. It's not, not just the other spaces. Um, but in terms of, of a healing process, um, and if you we come back to your metaphor of Transplantation. Transplantation. This is firstly something that is for us. I mean, this is where I see where we have to see how we, how we translate this into our own being and if we want to merge or if we want to kind of like insist on being in a very special position by having been transplanted, yeah. so to say. And this question goes back to Claire because I think it's not only that you are um, you know, running the artistic program of an art center, but this art center is attached to another space, which is the Swiss, which is very difficult to define because Switzerland is not a national state as such, and yet um, how much can you represent it or what are there to be represented in, you know, if you would operate a similar program uh, dealing with activism, dealing with, uh, yeah, as you said, with positions that nobody know or very few people know about and so on, it does not represent at all what's happening here mainly and yet you want to, to fake that representation for the good cause. So I'm very curious about that. If we think less of representation but production, I, I prefer this because if I take the position of representing something, I'm not feeling very comfortable with this because it doesn't work. I mean, I cannot represent um, within five or eight shows in a year what is happening in Switzerland. It's just too complex. It's a selection. And what I'm doing is rather produce something there in this space, concretely, uh, in these two exhibition spaces that I think is relevant and that I am in interested in. So I feel more comfortable in thinking about this, like um, I produce something with the artists in the, in the space and not thinking, oh, this is just a selection of something that, that um, represents certain ways of cultural production in Switzerland and a certain, and then it's always representing something larger. Yes. Does that give you also a kind of leeway to maybe introduce programming um, that, that, that otherwise maybe you would, one would be more self-conscious of? I mean, I just know that like debates about feminism and women in the art world in Paris and in France have been very feverish the last few years um, and in the, in the French art academies and so forth. And so I wonder if um, the focus on this national representation allows you to kind of do some sort of feminist work through the back door that otherwise would be the focus. Is that, is that ever something you think about or? 
Yeah, of course. I mean, what has been talked about this affinity or naturalist or just doing it, I think it's, it's very much something that, that I feel um, I can sign as well. And while preparing, I have not had the chance to, to look up the word Selbstverständlichkeit in English, but um, I think it's what we've been talking about, and this is, I think something I want to do. But then, um, as you pointed out, is this the right strategy? I mean, should we just do it silently or should we state the obvious and say we do this and, um, and, and make it visible in saying we do these choices? Because you said this is maybe a silent war that is going on. No. Male are doing it just because it I comes natural to them. And should we just be doing it or should we say we do it, and look, we're doing it. Yeah, but it. We, I <laughs> think that this is important also to, because we are talking about voices and methodologies and so on, we need to take into account that every week has seven days, and that uh, you do it on Monday, but you may not do it on Tuesday. Yeah. So it's an important thing also not to, not to overdo the importance and disciplinary importance that coherence has been played in the life of women, because we are asked to be coherent while uh, this question is not posed in the same way in other gender. So I would not overdo it, because you may forget it. I think you may have even you know, a, a very temporary amnesia and forgot that you were coherent on Monday with, with uh, your silence. And then on Tuesday, you just do it like this and said like, oh, this collection is really weird. Why don't you actually take a look into the hanging of it? and then also the budgets and the control of the, of the organigrams. But my question was that we have here really interesting examples of forms of organization from the private to the independent or more independent to the state. And also that we have very few times talking about the failure of the national state in the fact that they did not did the job. I think um, one needs to say, I think Switzerland is different because the public institutions are not organized in a centralized state uh, structure, but yet every, every small, very powerful structure has its centrality and it's drinking from the same values as a bigger state. And the question is that the promise was equality and this also would kind of permeate into the, into the practices. So it's not stupid to ask uh, not that duckies or whoever in Greece actually gets um, into the defender of values that are good for a good society since capitalism would actually support his ideas of do what the fuck he wants with his money. But um, the state is a different question. The states are a different question. Why didn't they respond and then go in Spain or in Greece or in Italy back to those spaces and, and say, how can we learn? Are those materials available? Are they gonna be part of our collections? Um, and, and this is super interesting because it goes to ideas of what do they preserve, what do they research, what do they consider patrimonial good, common good for everyone. And it's so interesting that we are always doing the good programs <clears throat> because they're obviously good for many reasons, and yet, not even the state is anti-market, because their idea of the patrimonial, for example, in Switzerland, goes hand in hand with the preservation of the patrimony of individuals that were interested, invested in some artists and works. As you are saying, me as an individual, as a curator, I am inter interested in this program. So the question is really how to make it more clear 
um, what the common good and the common good for whom? Because we are part of the population, technically speaking, I think. No? But I would also like to question these kind of like old contradiction between private and state, so public. I don't think it works anymore. If you look at the numbers, I mean, the, the, the situation has changed. Like, for instance, Tate Modern, which was completely state funded in until 95, I think, has now 30% state funding, 70% private funding. But this is an amazing, an amazing conversation and a really important issue that you are bringing to the table. Because, uh, for example, in those countries where state funding has been stable, poor but stable, like for example in Spain, it has been a mission um, to the purely paid by the state museums, five, to really do uh, performance to really collect those materials, to really research in the extent they could, thanks to the pressure of, uh, of spaces. I think this happened because in the uh, early 2000s, in between the centuries, um, the off spaces put so much pressure in the state that the state respond to it because they say, this is public money, you cannot ask me to do the research on the performance practices of the country in the 60s and 70s with peanuts. So do it with your money, transfer it, and they did. And as you said, the very moment that later on, uh, thanks to the great European Union, they retrieve that public funding from the museums and they invite uh, the private money into them, those values and those ideas of research went to hell, uh, finally. And now we are in a, in a fantastic new moment where a woman artist called Nan Goldin is the only one raising an amazing voice and saying, uh, actually accepting all these millions of the sacklers, sacks. And then now they need to take, they, they want the money, but they are not gonna take it. And this is gonna transform uh, the whole hybrid finance situation of many museums because people are gonna ask more and more I think the color of the money is green, but the origin of the money may be wrong, and we are not going to accept it into the DNA of a public common good. I mean, also thinking about you know, many of the spaces where, where women is, are often seen as a sort of perfect director for like mid-level spaces or for artist-run spaces, or thinking about the small, the intimate, larger spaces, larger ambitions. This is seen as maybe there's a token, you know, the woman who can do it because she's almost a man. And then there are the rest, which are run by men year after year. And, and I, I wonder, I mean, because we also kept saying earlier uh, what is natural and then it became what is an affinity. But of course, all of these things are constructions. And I'm always wondering, like in terms of my own life, what are my actions that have basically been conditioned in me because of the projections put on me as a woman professional? And what are truly coming out of my own needs and my own desires? You know, do I cultivate you know, the intimacy and the social and the minor forms because they're truly interesting to me or because I see this as a place where I'm told I can excel? You know, whereas the ambition to become something larger, to expand the space to one a larger institution, also means you have to get closer to a kind of patriarchal idea of holding and instituting power that I don't want very much to do with. It's these questions of like, what is nature? What is affinity? What, you know, what are we actually doing? And what is autonomous in our agency? And what is simply like the conditioning and everything being a kind of reaction? What would it change for you if you could figure this out? 
if you would know what's nature and what's nurturing, if it's so dominant or kind of like so strongly influencing us. Um, I mean, I, I understand the interest to find figuring out as you want to figure out who your parents are or whatever, but do you think it would really change something if we now could put a point to it, say like, look, this is all nurture, this is in our nature, it would be to run big museums, to um, claim big space, to be loud, to be... I don't know. I mean, I sometimes think that, I, as one of you pointed out earlier, I'm not quite sure who, but within a frame or within a limit, you can kind of do very interesting things and exploit it and explode it and so forth. But I think my fear also is, is that this expectation of limits becomes also a projection that I see limits perhaps where there are none. And it's basically conditioned into me that my ambitions should only go <coughs> so far. Um, and I think, and I, and I see this often when I've worked in large organizations like, doc, like the last Documenta. I see all, all of the people who worked for me, the, the men and the women, it was, very, it was very split. It wasn't split between capabilities. It was split between the, the men who were working with me. They saw no limit. The women, they saw them every day. And you constantly had to uh, kind of help them through it or help myself through it. And so I'm, I think I'm thinking about these because I wonder how many times there are walls to, to actually what could really be produced. But I think I have an answer to me as a doctor. Uh, because, um, you know, we have been in our hospital treating all these people with a very deficient immune system. And then you keep them really protected. But it is only after you do a couple of experiments, putting them outside, some of them unfortunately die, but, um, but some really survive. And when they survive, then their immune system uh, grows and, um, and has an impact in their offspring, which is completely different. In other words, there's absolutely no internship to become the president of a country. <clears throat> so if you want to become the president of a country, there is no way that you can apply with full qualifications for it because you have not done it before normally. And the, the question is the training as well. I think uh, how much can we know if there is not enough opportunity to exercise <clears throat> that kind of a scale or that kind of thing at all? And that's why you end up desiring the bubble because doctors like me told you that some of them did not survive, that they die. And you get scared because you don't want to be the one that dies, you want to be the one that survives. But I think you need an opportunity, at least you need a percentage and so on. Finally, I think medicine, we are not that far, but uh, hopefully soon. These concepts are, are extremely interesting, like the, the national and the natural versus the international and the unnatural. I think you and said natural, I yeah. think. For me, nothing came natural. natural. I'm, I'm <laughs> the most artificial person you can imagine, I think. <laughs> I have been always doing quotes and avoiding what I hate as much as I could. And the way that I work at the beginning with many uh, women artists, it was to avoid the male artists that make me totally uncomfortable <laughs> okay. because they were demanding to hell. And I was like, oh, fuck, no. So I went to the other ones that make my life easier at the beginning. And that manipulation my genetic slowly, so I'm not natural, what the fuck, but you are. No, but it's interesting to just have on one side the national, the natural, what is perceived of, or what we learned from patriarchy that is, and how, uh, like a feminist position of, of resistance, even if it's undeclared, is the international and the unnatural. But in this, a way. Is what, this is a question for this afternoon as well. I think we need to see that any social movement is linked to a certain idea of the left of internationalism. Since we are moving out of internationalism, this is going to affect uh, all that because I, w I was 
talking about transplantation exactly. in order to avoid talking about internationalism. Yes, but this idea of the transplant is extremely interesting for me, but it means that the organism needs to accept a foreign body. A hopeful position or a dream for the intersectional feminisms of the future is this, that this organism accepts the foreign body and we, we operate through the intersectional. But the intersectional means that we also need to understand that all these institutions, all these curators, all these cultural workers have their peculiarities, idiosyncrasies, um, localities, etc., etc. And I... if we accept that, then we also escape these bad international, old-fashioned way of looking Me, at things. Me, as very, very famous doctor in these cases, I need just to remind you that for an organ to be accepted by a body, you need at least to have three or four years of permanent medication. So never forget, as a woman, that the body is going to embrace the new heart. It's going to be embraced through a series of chemical processes that cost money and demands, um, you know, uh, treatment. Participants were Nicola Dietrich, Mareike Dittmar, Raphael Dörig, Fanny Fetzer, Elena Filipovic, Iliana Fukianaki, Ines Goldbach, Sabine Himmelsbach, Claire Hoffmann, Manuela Moscoso, Marie Murassiol, Elfie Turpin and Nadine Wittlesbach. Moderated by Jus Martinez and Quinn Latimer. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Women's Center for Excellence a research project between the Art Institute at the FHNW Academy of Art and Design in Basel and the Institut Tussouche, a joint venture with Grazina Kulczyk and Art Stations Foundation Switzerland. The Women's Center for Excellence is conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of women in the arts, culture, science and technology as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please go to our website, institut-kunst.ch. That's institut-kunst.ch. Or request information or subscription to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. That's info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. Instituto Sush is part of Museum Sush, an initiative by Art Stations Foundation Switzerland and Grashina Kulczyk. More information can be found at museumsush.ch. That's www.museumsush.ch. This podcast was produced by the Art Institute HGK FHNW in Basel and Institut du Souche, Art Station Foundation Switzerland, 2019. Research Assistant Alice Wilke. Editing and Sound Design Elena Ziesar. Recordings Konrad Siegel and Chris Handberg. We also want to thank der Stiftung für Erforschung für Frauenarbeit for their support. <laughs>